Today on the Topping Show, Vivek Ramaswamy gets a cease and desist from Eminem. Disney stock hits a nine-year low. Mr. Beast is critiqued by ineffective charities for his work building an orphanage. Rolling Stones uses Trump to become once again relevant on Twitter. Vivek Ramaswamy's Ukraine tweet goes viral. Amazon introducing a new minimum for free shipping. Watches of Switzerland has their stock crashed by 26%. A vintage Acura NSXT sold for a record amount. Long live the three-pedal machine. ELF Beauty acquired Natrium for $355 million, and Hyundai has a recall because of faulty acceleration. All of that and much more on The Topping Show. Thank you again for taking the time to tune in today. Today's episode of The Topping Show is sponsored by Topping Technologies. Topping Technologies is an IT value-added reseller and services company with a special proficiency in IT security. Heck, I see their founder at least twice a day. Gotta say he's quite handsome and brilliant. He's me, that's the joke. If you're an IT leader or a business owner and need a little assistance, you can reach the team at sales at toppingtechnologies.com. Now, going on to the business part of the podcast, you have Amazon introducing a new minimum for their free shipping. Now, not to brag too much, but I am part of the 1% of America that doesn't pay for Amazon Prime. I am perhaps one of the few, partially because I can't help but notice everything on Amazon is uh, more of a need, not a... No, 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 it is really, it is actually all wants. You don't need anything on there. They do sell some food thanks to them acquiring Whole Foods a couple years ago, but pretty much everything on Amazon is not a necessity. It's more of a luxury. So in the rare occasions where I do choose to acquire something on Amazon, just wait a couple days. Once in America, patience was a virtue. In fact, maybe that should be the new punishment you lose your Amazon Prime instead of parents grinding their kids by taking the TV away, which they should do. They should do that as well. But that might be a new cliche. You lose your Prime. But I digress. It looks like they're actually raising the minimum price point from $25 of junk. I mean, important, definitely necessity things, all the way to $35. So now this doesn't apply apparently if you are part of the Prime Club. So this affects the people like myself. So instead of having to buy one book, I'm going to have to buy two books. The dilemmas, what will I do? Well, realistically, no, it shouldn't affect the market too much. Now, it looks like it's gonna apply also based on where customers live. So it looks like the consumer education website, Consumer World said last Monday, among other cities where Seattle, Amazon is headquartered, they have a $25 minimum, while non-prime customers in nearby Bellevue will have a $35 minimum for free shipping. So it looks like they're also gonna play some geofencing as well, or they're gonna depend more likely, the further you are away from a major city, the more they'll charge you or the more they'll increase that rate because it does cost Amazon a lot to ship stuff. That Amazon, I'll give them credit, they have completely changed the mentality of Americans when it comes to shipping. Everyone now thinks everything should be shipped for free, which again, there's no such thing as free. Everything always comes at a cost. They just hide that cost. So it's not really free shipping. They just bury the cost into the cost of goods sold. and. Amazon will be able to do that more and more effectively as they build out their infrastructure. A couple years ago, they started to buy their own jumbo jacks. Well, not jumbo, the Boeing, I believe 737 or 47. So, and of course you've seen the Amazon trucks. You can't throw, I was gonna say, I guess, well, instead of throwing a brick, more apps metaphor might be, you can't throw a book out the window without hitting an Amazon truck. Although if you did, that'd be convenient because they could catch it and then deliver it to someone else. Use book for sale reference or pun. Choose as you like. Now, it looks like in the past, Amazon has raised a threshold order amount for get for free, free shipping. In the past, they've done it as high as $49. Now, 
Now, it looks like in terms of when did they restart back to that $25 price point, that was back in 2017 when Walmart was ramping up their e-commerce and in a couple years ago, they bought Jet.com, which is a brilliant acquisition because before that, people kind of knew Walmart had an e-commerce, but not really. And that was a big startup that company was doing. They got, they got some good press and they were growing pretty well. So Walmart bought them and used it to integrate into their e-commerce. And although, of course, they're not rivaling Amazon in terms of revenue yet, the percentage of Walmart sales from the e-commerce site is increasing more and more. And truth be told, I've tried out the site with a couple items and I've had overall a good experience. So it'll be interesting to see at what price point do you think Amazon could raise it to until people just say, no, I, I, I will, I'll, I'll just pay for the shipping. Is it $50? $75, $100. I wonder at which point will people, I don't think everyone will change their mind in terms of the mentality of the allure of free shipping that sounds good. But it'll be interesting to see if people maybe choose that trade-off where they don't fill up the cart all the way to get that new minimum so they can get the free shipping. But it'll be interesting to see. And truth be told, Amazon's got a pretty good track record. So the odds are probably in their favor. This will be favorable for the company's outlook. Other interesting businesses, you have watches of Switzerland. Well, their stock crashed 26%. Now, I know US public schools are all time low when it comes to mathematics scores. Well, same with history and science, but we'll do a little bit of math today. And that's a little bit over a fourth, which is 25%. Not to brag, but I just added more value than a not insignificant number of teachers in the United States. But I digress. Now, this is also coming off the news of Rolex purchasing Butcher. Rolex being perhaps one of the most well-known, the most well-known luxury watch brands that most Americans know about. Truth be told, in terms of luxury watches and the fascinating watch community and the enthusiasts that is behind timekeeping, that's considered an entry-level watch. Which again, those watches start like eight thousand dollars. So it's it's a whole fascinating community, and. There really is no, like most hobbies, there's no limit on what you could spend. But for all intents and purposes, Rolex is probably the best known brand that everyone in the world knows and associates with luxury watches. Now, Rolex, very controversially earlier this week, they purchased a brick and mortar, where traditionally they're very much more so like an automotive company where in the United States, you and I can't go to a General Motors store to buy the new Corvette. I mean, we also wouldn't because it's automatic only and that's boring as hell, but we would have to go to a GM authorized dealership in that case, a Chevrolet dealership. In that case, it's a third party, a mom and pop or a business own the, they purchase or basically they rent the rights to have a store with the Chevy logo on it and the General Motors affiliation. So the dealership buys it from General Motors or sometimes even a, a fleet management. So the end user is buying it from the dealer, not directly from the manufacturer. One of the reasons Tesla disrupted the automotive community. Now we're seeing more and more of these companies, Nike's increasing their direct to consumer route in terms of their sales model. And it looks like even Rolex is changing up. Now, of course, they claim there's not gonna be any major changes. So I suspect in the short term, Rolex is just gonna get more of the upside of the profits as they see they sell their watch to the store for 8,000, the store's selling it for 9, 10, 12, 13. As I can't help but think there's a, let me know in the comments, do you think there's a watch bubble right now? I can't help but notice all the luxury people like Kevin O'Leary, they're just nonstop talking about it, almost like hyping up the market. And it, obviously it can't go up forever. So it'll be interesting to see if that bubble kind of bursts in the short term. But in terms of this watches of Switzerland, they're probably one of the most, they're a very well-known watch outlet. I mean, you're not going to buy, you know, a $2 Casio from them, but 
they'll have the Patek and Philips, they'll have the Rolexes, and it looks like the watches are switched. They try to assuage investors saying that the Rolex butcher transaction is, quote, it's not a strategic move into retail by Rolex, quote unquote, which I, I don't know how that's, I can't fathom how that statement isn't against the SEC or like it, it's not a false statement. Because again, Rolex is the manufacturer of the watches. They just bought a company that sells watches. Even if it's indirect, even if they do nothing and they space, they treat it as a wholly owned subsidiary to Rolex, they're still now privy to, they're going to get a lot of data insights in that business, which is also good because I'll know more about their competitors because I'll see their sales figures for those particular stores. But they're certainly getting to retail. Perhaps they're not putting a new sign up because there's a lot of prestige around the old Butcher brand. And again, it probably just shows perhaps my lack of culture. I'm not pronouncing it right. Personally, I like my gold Garmin partially because I got it for free and it's green. Cool. Can't be that ROI. But yeah, I can't help but think that's a false statement. They're not getting retail. They, they certainly are. Now, it looks like in the statement to the market, they also said, quote, there'll be no operational involvement by Rolex in the butcher business and the product allocation distribution methods will remain unchanged following the takeover. Rolex will appoint a non-executive board members to the retail's board. So they're putting people on the board. And again, even if they don't change anything, because they're, yeah, I can't help but think that's, yeah, that's, that's gonna be a very short-term trend. Very similar to you see a lot of acquisitions in pretty much every industry. When you first buy the company, there's not a lot of changes. Sometimes the merging of the data and the technologies takes year or years. So short-term watches of Switzerland probably doesn't have to worry too much, but long-term, it'll be interesting to see because there's definitely, there's a revolution in retail where you have more direct to consumer and I would say the Magic 8-Ball for them is outlook not so good. They're not going to go out of business. There are many luxury watches. Rolex isn't the only name in the game. But to have one of the best-known brands start to creep into essentially a direct-to-consumer model, that might be a wave to the whole watch community. You have a ripple effect. It'll be interesting to see do other manufacturers do the same thing. But you know me. As I say, time shall tell. Other interesting business views and Something that'll warm, warm the heart a little bit. You had a vintage Acura NSAT sold for a record. Long live the manual transmission, the three pedals. Now, it is also a little sad, I have to say, this is we consider 2005 vintage, but you kind of have to delineate because there's the new bastardized Acura NXX, which is automatic only and pretty boring as hell. Took years to take it, took years to develop, and they pretty much lost all the hype, in my opinion. They, they announced it, then they took, too they took too long to develop it and actually get it in front of consumers. So the excitement kind of waned a little bit, but I digress. This looks like to be the new highest selling first gen Acura NXX of all time, surpassing a previous record of a 1999 Acura NXX Zen uh, Zendardi edition that sold for $282,017 in 2020, previously on e-commerce website, Bring a Trailer. Now it looks like this one sold for $291,000 for a 2005 Acura NSX-T, or sorry, uh, uh, wow. And they claim that this example has only 5,113 miles on the odometer, which is basically nothing. And the color, of course, is in long beach blue pearl color with onyx leather. And 2005 is the last year of the original NSX. 
So it certainly, it makes sense. It's the last hoorah for that NXX. The new one, of course, is automatic only, boring as hell to many people, including myself. And I can't help but see all of these price points and all these collectible vehicles, people always pay a premium for the stick shift with manual transmission, which I would argue every vehicle should already have by default from the factory. But when will these car companies make the new ones in manual transmission? Aston Martin's pretty good and consistent about giving consumers what they demand. But you think of Lamborghini, the new Lamborghinis are all, all automatic. And they even have an EV SUV that just came out, which a Lamborghini EV, really? Just, just let it die with dignity. It's just ridiculous. But you look at these websites where you have used vehicles selling for a premium, and a Lamborghini LP640 with an automatic, which they should never have made, but those sell for around, I think, $200,000 to $300,000. A Lamborghini LP640 with a stick shift, they're selling for a million dollars. Consumers are willing to pay a premium for that rare experience. Will manufacturers learn from this and make the new ones in a stick shift? A couple of them are, but it is unfortunate that many are not. But this is still a neat little fun tidbit in business history. You see these e-commerce platforms or these bidding sites getting more and more popular and helping preserve some of the most beautiful pieces of automotive history. I surely hope this person has an, a fun time shifting through the gears of that rare vehicle. But I would say, time shall tell. Now, other interesting business news, you have ELF Beauty acquiring Natrium or Natrium for $355 million. That's a lot of makeup goop. Now, it looks like ELF Cosmetics is a U.S. cosmetics company founded by Joseph Schmal and Vincent or Scott Vincent Borba in California back in 2004. And one of their latest revenue figures was 2017, revenue of $295 million. Now, at first, I, I, I was going to check one of the Christmas websites to see do elves? I mean, in the movies, when you see like all the cliche cartoon movies about Christmas, the elves do usually, they usually have rosy cheeks. So I presume some of the elves at the North Pole use cosmetics. So maybe this was their subsidiary? Because again, it's Elf Cosmetics, E-L-F. But after a little research, I was a little dismayed. It's actually a boring acronym for Eyes, Lips, Face, or ELF, which can't help but think C minus for marketing, it it only portrays the company, it only portrays the meaning if you know the whole acronym, which after a couple, for new people who don't know the brand, they're just gonna call it ELF or ELF, which doesn't communicate anything except for Santa's little helpers. So I understand the intention, They I, presumably they make the goop that goes on all those body parts, but Still a silly name, in my opinion. Now, it looks like the acquisition will double their skincare business, and it will comprise 18% of retail sales. And it looks like in an earnings report released August 1, ELF Beauty showed a 76% net sales growth over year over year to $216.3 million. So it looks like, you know, after the pandemic, a lot of people had a decrease in sales, but it looks like they're starting to get increase it more and more. And they also know that ELF Beauty and other existing skincare brand is ELVS Skin, and the company carved out its then fourth portfolio brand in 2022. So it's interesting to see. It's one of the most profitable legal substances on the planet, so it makes sense to do a startup and invest in that types of that whole brand category. But it'll be interesting to see. You're seeing more and more consolidation in both the cosmetics as well as the shampoo industry. I remember a couple months back, you had L'Oreal being acquired yet again by someone else. 
So it, it seems as if mergers and acquisitions are increasing, which is also a good sign because it's showing that businesses are willing to invest and they're willing to acquire and grow the companies. Whereas, you know, a lot of economic uncertainty, a lot of companies will just have cash reserves because they have no idea what's going to happen. So hopefully that's perhaps a good sign the economy might be turning around. I mean, yeah, I'm all pessimistic when it comes to that topic, but hopefully it will be a good sign of good things to come, so to say. Going on to the culture part of the podcast, you have Disney stock hitting a nine-year low and more products are being cut. Now, it looks like specifically the most recent news is Disney Plus, their streaming platform. They're dropping two shows and a lot of people are crying and complaining because they actually finished filming both of them and it's because they want to save cash. Apparently, it's Spider Wick, which false advertising has nothing to do with Spider-Man or John Wick. I could only assume it would have been a cool concept to have John Wick, played by obviously Keanu Reeves, gets bitten by a spider, becomes a radioactive superhero, and becomes basically John Wick on steroids with extra superpowers. But no, this, we have to remember, Disney has no, they only have a modicum of creativity left at the company. So this is, it had nothing to do with John Wick or Spider-Man. Well, presumably some Spider-Man spinoff. And so is Spider-Wick, which again, disappointing, the Spider-Wick Chronicles and Nautilus. And it looks like both of them were either remakes or expansions of previous old intellectual property. But they're saving a lot because, remember, the rule of thumb in terms of media production and Disney movies in particular, TV shows is whatever you spend on the production of the show, it's usually twice that for marketing because you got to get the word out, which, I mean, just think about it growing up as a kid, makes sense of why you see so many commercials for a movie and then you go see the movie. It's like the commercials are everywhere. It's partially because they have to get the word out, let people know, hey, we just made this thing, come pay to come see it. So it makes sense. Now it looks like, I can't, I still can't believe Disney Plus is still failing. So last fiscal quarter, the Disney Plus streaming platform lost $512 million. Jeez Louise, $512 million. This is a, on top of them losing about $1.8 billion on movies for the past 10 or 15 movies. Again, uh, it's hilarious. There's a writer strike and an actors and actress strike right now. They, they, they really can't afford to pay that more. Partially because these movies are all losing money, which I would blame on a myriad of factors, including writers for making basically junk for Disney in particular. But yeah, writers inserting politics. There's many reasons why these movies are flopping. But they should be doing great. The concept of Disney Plus, they launched it at the most opportune time. They launched it when people were literally locked in their homes, forced to not go anywhere. And Netflix and the other competitors, they did great. But Disney, of course, they're not so good. And also, there's actually an article on Forbes talking about in 2022, so just a little while back ago, they posted their worst stock return in 48 years. It's astronomical. And they talk in this Forbes article, they also talk about how if you're going to invest money to the S&P 500, Disney is performing one of the worst. And it looks like just the, the bad news just keep going worse and worse. But I don't know. Do you think Disney will turn this ship around? They, they're not, they're not getting the numbers that they want. They're not making a profit. And this, again, this is some analysts on CNBC Squawk Box, which I was shocked had nothing to do with The View. I assumed it was a subsidiary, but apparently Squawk Box is one of their analytical shows where they talk about you know business. And they're suggesting that they should actually sell off 
the parks from Disney, which the only logical way you could do that is if you had a perpetual license like forever where Disney either, because the characters are so tied in with the parks, you can't have one without the other. So conceivably, you could spin off, if you want to spin off the media part of Disney, you could sell that to Apple, who has enough cash to buy it. But you'd have to have some license agreement where you'd be able to use the characters in perpetuity and you would keep all the money. Because again, when it comes to the actual theme parks, not only are you paying thousands of dollars just to get in the door, but these idiots, I mean fans, are paying hundreds of dollars for stuffed animals of Mickey, which costs sense to make, but that's a big profit part as well. And if they have to all of a sudden split that revenue with someone else who technically owns the intellectual property, or they have to pay for a licensing deal with, I can't help but think the economics would not work. Because like licensing, for example, usually have to pay cash up front with a lot of those instances. And there's a lot of risk. You don't know how many you're gonna sell. You may or may not recoup your efforts or your, your investment. So I don't think realistically they could divest that particular part of the business. They can certainly get rid of ABC. No one's, I mean, I don't know anyone who's watching a cable box these days. Look, I mean, look at me. I got, well, granted, I do have a TV was from 1983, which again, shows how things used to be more reliable back in the day for my dad's TV from college, his still TV still works. But again, it's one of those things where Disney should just get rid of the cable. That's, when I think about what Disney can do to, to get out of this spiral of death, physical as well as moral, but that seems to be the only thing they could easily spin off. You don't need the Disney Channel anymore. No one's really tuning into that, I wouldn't think. No one really needs FX. The only, the only golden nugget of X, FX was they invested in It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, which turned out to be a huge hit show. But if you think about FX, yeah, they could definitely spin off ABC, FX. There's a lot of fat to trim. The only question is, what's Bob Iger going to do? As all these investors are starting to get worried and they can't help but notice you guys are bleeding money year over year. I mean, I know he has a goal to lay off 7,000 employees and they're they're getting to that number. So that's going to help decrease their costs in terms of their capital that they're investing in people. But it's one of those things where gone are the days where they could spend a billion dollars on a Marvel movie and make a billion plus. I think that's one of the big issues is they overinvest in all these movies they put so much money into the movies, there's no conceivable way they can make a profit back. So I think they're going to have to definitely scale back. And Bob Iger has admitted they probably made too many Star Wars and Marvel films, which logistically in terms of like writing the movies is really easy. You just have to do control V or for those who aren't technologically inclined, copy paste, which for most Marvel movies and Star Wars movies is basically the same thing. You just have a copy of copy of copy of copy, which yeah, interestingly enough, my favorite, Metaphor right now for Disney is a photocopy, where if you take that example of Funnel Home Experiment, go use your home scanner, or a scanner, a copier, photocopier, make a copy of a copy, take that, make another copy, and copy it again. Every time you do that, the image will actually degrade, much like the intellectual property of Disney with their past films and TV shows. So it'll be interesting to see can they pull out of this nosedive? Or what's a good Star Trek reference? Or out of this warp speed? Kidding, I know they own Star Wars, not Star Trek. But nevertheless, they're not doing good and I don't see it turning around anytime soon. Other interesting cultural news, you have Mr. Beast critiqued for having the audacity to help orphans. And of course, the ineffective charities are angry. Now, this comes after a couple months where some morons, I mean, uh, critics actually were upset that Mr. Beast helped cure blindness, for, I believe for a thousand people, because they said he was selfish. He was just doing it for the clicks and the views, which I don't know how dumb people are. Well my faith in like how an average intellect level is going down precipitously throughout the years. But 
Yes, that's how he makes money to do those good things. And again, I don't know what's inside Jimmy's head. He's the name behind Mr. Beast. But all his interviews, he seems authentically like he wants to help people. And these ineffective charities are critiquing him. They're actually calling him a, quote, unquote, a white savior as a pejorative uh, slur, I suppose. And this is after he rebuilt an African orphanage. And this gets dumber. Humanitarians, which they've become so politicized these days. I always tell people when it comes to donations, just donate directly to whoever you want to help or volunteer yourself. Because a lot of these companies have huge overheads, some more than others. Now, I'll dive into that more in a minute, but, here, but these humanitarian groups were actually calling Jimmy, telling him not to do it because they claim that orphanage were a haven for violence, abuse, and neglect. Which some, I mean, there's no such thing as a perfect ecosystem or a, uh, a perfect environment. But what's, if you don't build the orphanage, what is the alternative? Obviously, I mean, I think adoption is a great way to help the community, a great way to help someone. You can change, literally change their lives. But in the interim, while you're trying to help, trying to find someone to adopt that child, what, what else would you have them do? Where would you have them stay? And it's ridiculous that they would critique him for literally building an orphanage to help give shelter to children. That's how, it's ridiculous. And a lot of these, of course, a lot of these humanitarian humanitarians and charities, a lot of them, they just want you to donate directly, which again, there are many websites that critique charities. They actually analyze their, I believe it's their, not 10K, that's I'm thinking of like an ExxonMobil type of company. But if it's a 501c3, which is a nonprofit in the United States, they have to file all their paperwork and you can actually break down their cost structures to see where are these costs going. It's kind of the point where some charities, if you give a dollar, only one penny goes to the thing you're trying to solve, which is also known as dog crap. That's so ineffective, it could almost be worse than the government, which is saying something as I critique the government because they seem to do very, very little on the left and the right. But I can't imagine some of these charities, you actually donate a dollar and only a penny goes to the thing you're trying to help. Which of course, these humanity, they would love to get the cash from Mr. Beast, but that doesn't help him build the channel and doesn't help them directly help the people who need the help. So of course you have the same cliche people saying, oh, he's just building this orphanage to actually, you know, to, to, for the clicks, for the views. Obviously, that's how he has the capital to do these things. And in this instance, I almost think he lost money. There's a lot of people saying, and I say only 7 million views is huge, but apparently the video for this particular philanthropic endeavor got about 7 million views. And based on the rates that YouTube pays for that, most likely he lost money on this particular episode or this particular endeavor. So it's not like he wins every single time. And it blows my mind how, how anyone could actually be upset that he's doing all these things. When again, with all the data we have right now, he seems like a genuinely good person. He wants to help people. But of course, as a philosopher once said, haters gonna hate. I believe someone said that. Maybe, not so much. But moving on. Other interesting culture news, you have the Rolling Stones using Trump to become relevant once again on the Twitter. Now, Rolling Stones, of course, has long time been political and pretty much like all media these days, to be frank. But a couple of days ago after Trump was arrested and the infamous mugshot came out, which will go down as one of the most, perhaps one of the most prolific images in my lifetime. 
Rolling Stones actually tweeted a mugshot, and I was going to say cover your ears if you have children listening to this, but they said, fuck around, dot, 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 find out. Now, that post from the Rolling Stones statistically did pretty successful in terms of the views. It got 4.7 million views. Now, granted, it did only get 77.9 or 77,900 likes, so that's 1.65% like ratio. Did a little fun math today there. Now, interestingly enough, one of my uh, another good show, the Coring, actually responded to that by saying, "Quote: You have six million followers, and you can really break thirty likes on a post. Your biggest post in months is about Donald Trump. You need him. Think about it." Unquote. Now that reply got two twenty one point seven k views, but two thousand seven hundred and fifty five likes, giving a ratio of twelve point six nine percent which is quite a lot more than 1.65%. Now, interestingly enough, that got me thinking, is it really that bad? So I went into the rolling, the tweets of the Rolling Stones, examining what the quartering was claiming, and he's right. They also tweet like a crack addict. They just constantly tweet, 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 or I guess nowadays just post on the X. They need some, they need some marketing um, over at the former Twitter known as X now. But even the other prop, even the other posts, which again, they're all, they're political as well. I thought they were supposed to be about guitars. But nevertheless, last week, they had a uh, quote or a tweet from Rolling Stone about DeSantis. And it said, quote, DeSantis' campaign thought he'd be the center of attention at the GOP, unquote, or the GOP debate, unquote. That got 34.5 thousand views. So nothing compared to the 4.7 of Trump. And that got a 0.12% like ratio. Now, another random tweet from them was, Something that said Manuel Torizo and Grupo Frontera, which I I don't know if they're made up characters or real people. I have no idea. But the quote is, you know, those two people combine their star power on a new love sick song, De Nunes a Lunes, which grammatically sounds terrible, granted, but that got 28,000 views and 11 likes. That's 0.04% like ratio. And you see this more and more. A lot of their posts get less than 10 likes. Now, granted, I'm not one to brag. I get one or I get a couple likes. So it's not like they're infinitely more successful on Twitter than I am. Not saying much because I'm new to the game. You can also follow me at, N-I- at N-I-C-T-O-P-P-I-N-G if you want to hear more about my thoughts and critiques. But the Rolling Stone, they, they just aren't getting any traction. And again, this is also in terms of more, being morally vacuous. Dwayne Stone is the same outlet that put a, the Boston bomber, his face on the magazine cover. I don't know why you would glorify someone who is so, so morally vacuous and evil, but they did that. that. That's the magazine you're dealing with when it comes to the Rolling Stones. So it'll be interesting to see how many of these media companies are secretly hoping beyond all hope that Trump gets back into the spotlight just so they can make some more money off his name because he is viral. Whether you like him or not, it is a lot of media attention. They get, you know, a lot of these companies are paid per click or so they say. So it'll be interesting to see how many of them secretly love the Trump. But I always say, time shall tell. Going on to the political part of the podcast, you have Vivek Ramaswamy. His little tweet about his Ukraine interview is going viral. Now, this is in terms of the statistics this was, and I'll actually compare a couple stats here, within 30 minutes, again, within 30 minutes, which 
I was going to say, I know public schools are all-time low for, the for their test scores and knowledge. That's a half hour, which there are 24 hours in a day. You're welcome. But nevertheless, in the first 30 minutes, his post got 57,600 views and 1,031 likes, which is quite a lot of likes, but not the great ratio, 1.79% like ratio. That's a lot of hits in a short amount of time. And now, so that was within 30 minutes, 18 hours after, it's got 1.4 million views and 15.2 thousand likes. Now we'll pull out the good old math calculator app on the computer here, and we'll find quickly that is equal to, uh, is it still about one? Yeah, actually no. So the like ratio went down a little bit. So that's about 1% like ratio now. So it's about a minute long, but in terms of him having a unique perspective on the Ukraine, it's, it's actually a fascinating debate within the Republican Party, which is, I would say, more diverse in opinion than the Democrat Party, which is kind of their strength on the Democrat side of politics, is they're much more uniform when they're either when they're voting on bills or discussing these things, which some would say is a weakness because, I mean, the best ideals is when you have debate discussion of philosophies, they brew the surface. But in terms of voting success and metrics and politics, their side is, if you, we could see from the past couple of years, has been more effective. So this looks like he was on MSNBC. Let me see here. Yeah, with due respect, my concern is that our steps and NATO's steps right now are marching us closer to world war by driving Russia further into China's hands at a time when we have no visibility into what Russia's red lines are and further at a moment when Russia has a larger nuclear stockpile and super EMP capabilities and hypersonic missile capabilities ahead of that of the US. That's another thing a lot of people kind of forget about. I mean, there's a lot of uncertainty. Like after the USSR fell, a lot of weapons moved around and I can't help but think not all of them are accounted for. So Lord knows who has those old Soviet nukes as well as the new technologies, but they have a very large, vast amount of geographic area. That's another thing to remember is they also have a lot of heavy duty firepower. Now granted, perhaps it is similar to the political phenomenon where you have North Korea, where they also have a lot of firepower, but they dare not use it because of mutually assured destruction. They know if they did, pretty much the whole world would go after them. So many are speculating that's part of the reason Russia hasn't escalated the use of force. But we'll get back to him. And so what I've said is I would end that war, but on terms that end the Russia-China partnership. That is also how we deter Xi Jinping from going after Taiwan. Because right now, Xi Jinping's bet is that the U.S. will not want to go for two different allied nuclear superpowers at the same time. But the U.S. past couple of years has had a track record that shows we will not stand with our allies as well. The world is pretty much on its own, which is a frightening thing to think about. I would think it'd be much more prudent to defend the largest semiconductor manufacturer on the planet where pretty much everything Americans buy these days has semiconductors as a component inside of it, if not a subcomponent, the main component. But apparently that's lost on some politicians' ears.
But if Russia is no longer in China's camp, then Xi Jinping is going to have to think twice before going after Taiwan. And I will repeat, I'm the only presidential candidate who has affirmatively said we will defend Taiwan because we have greater national interests there than we do in Ukraine. And I do not think that this war advances American interests. We should focus on the real enemy that is communist China. And that's how I orient my foreign policy. So to actually creak the Ukraine war is a really controversial thing to say these days because... Pretty much everyone, politically speaking, it seems to be everyone on the left wants to invest more. So we've already given them over $100 billion in cash as well as physical weapons. But really, I think it's going to be up to $2 billion by the end of 2023. And it's fascinating to see the comments are a little bit more, I'd say maybe 70-30% in terms of supporting Vivek. And versus who wants to support it, uh, continue to support the war. But it's fascinating to see very few candidates, politically speaking, are actually speaking out against that initiative or this war, whatever you want to call it, where the U.S. is continuing to fund them pretty much without any oversight to what used to be one of the most corrupt nations on the planet. Well, it used to be publicly reported as one of the most corrupt countries on the planet. It's no longer reported. There are allegations of funds already going missing, but yeah, it's, I mean, at the end of the day, it will come to an end, the conflict. The only question is, how and i would hope more people would want to come to a peaceful agreement right now it's kind of seeing the antithesis where countries are almost egging each other out countries and third parties who aren't directly you know fighting on the ground they're all egging the two nations to continue the fight which i don't see how it's beneficial because unfortunately of course it's going to lead to more death and turmoil but we shall see hopefully i'm perhaps being a Perhaps I'm being foolishly optimistic, but I do hope the conflict ends and the casualties are minimized. Other interesting political news, you have Vivek Ramaswamy getting a cease and desist from Eminem, formerly known as Slim Shady, which it is somewhat hilarious that Vivek, Vivek actually does Eminem's rap and of course, we have to play a little bit of it. And yeah, let's play that actually right off the bat. So this is him at a at a presidential at a rally, and perhaps he's you got to in terms of marketing political chessboard you gotta appeal to the youth these days. Although I think Eminem's like forty or fifty by now. But what is, let's see what he got. There we go. This is in the great state of Iowa as well. The crowd is actually liking this. They're, they're very excited and... He is really having fun right here. Now, marketing, I give him a C- because he didn't suit up. He's in a polo. Granted, perhaps he's trying to relate to the constituents, but I would always say the most important events if you're in front of people, a real man always suits up. <laughs> There's like a, a late, a white gal in her 50s doing the fist pump. She is very into this. Very excited. 
Wow. And, hell, <laughs> yeah, I would say the, the YouTube comments are kind of split 50-50 when it comes to that Eminem cover. I mean, one of the top comments is, well, actually this comment, this comment has 153 likes. It says, quote, I've never seen a more enthusiastic crowd in my life. So that's good. But another comment also says, this song is 21 years old and this dude still managed to give a, quote, how do you do fellow kids, unquote, vibes. Always awkward, a quote within a quote. Now that one got 28 likes. And another person in the YouTube comments said, quote, pretty sure the crowd followed a cease and desist before Eminem did, unquote. And I got 40 likes. So it is moderately entertaining to say the least. And in terms of politics, it's fascinating to see, politically speaking, pretty much a majority of every performer in terms of artists, music, they're previously were very much more left. Well, I was gonna say back in the day, they used to be you know, rebels going against the man and the machine who you would probably identify them politically speaking as more libertarian or conservative. And nowadays, most of them are very far left. So like Eminem, he critiqued Trump all the time and he also praised Obama. So politically speaking for Eminem, he's much more um, politically speaking, more on the left hand, more on the democratic side. And it's interesting because you, you see a lot of artists do this. They send the seeds to this because, again, I would say this is different because it's not being used in a commercial. It's just because it, I just saw that as like an amateur YouTube video where someone took a picture of them. But you do see this phenomenon where you see a lot of musicians will get angry at the, like, I think Trump, who was it? There's a Twisted Sister, I think, wrote, We're Not Going to Take It. And there's another song, You Get What You, what is it? The Rolling Stones. You Don't Want, You Get What You Deserve. Personally, I prefer stuff like Bach and Vivaldi, but I digress. In terms of like rock and stuff like that, that I think Trump got a cease and desist from that one Rolling Stones song or the Rolling Stones band. That song, you get what you deserve. You can't always get you want what you want. That's what it is. It was lost on me for a second there, but I brought it back. Don't worry, I'm not gonna. I was just gonna say I could have could have dropped a beat, as the youth might say, and go to the Eminem song. You know, using the words that correlate to each other, but I shan't. And it is fascinating. Vivek actually said he used to have an alter ego in college where he would rack it and his alter ego was Davek, which is kind of hilarious as well. So it, it'll be interesting to see. He continues to use social media to his advantage. He's doing a lot of podcasts, a lot, not just mainstream podcasts of channels that most people know, but I'd say a lot of boutique and very specific podcasts. There's a couple that he's done for the Second Amendment. He went on Kulian Noir earlier and he even went on, was it Bill Maher's podcast? So he's getting a good diversity of media outlets. It'll be interesting to see if he can keep up that momentum and continue to go viral. He passed DeSantis for a New York Minute in that one poll in terms of popularity, but past couple days, it seems like DeSantis has creeped up. Although a lot of people haven't heard too much from DeSantis, but it'll be interesting to see which one is really gonna be the long-term winner. Time shall tell. Other interesting business news, going on to the business blunder of the day, you have Hyundai recalling about 38,000 Elantra hybrids for unintentional acceleration. Now, I did do some research because when I heard this unintentional acceleration from Hyundai, that's probably the owner not knowing it goes more than 25 miles per hour. Perhaps they had a seizure. They actually they accidentally pushed the pedal more than three quarters of an inch and they realized the car can in fact accelerate. But no, this is actually a default from the factory. It looks like Hyundai recently is issuing a recall for the Elantra hybrid that covers 37,997 cars built between 2021 and 2023 model years. Now, 
The National Highway Traffic Report had a note that said, quote, the motor control unit software may detect a transmission slash drive motor synchronization fault while driving triggering a fail-safe condition that temporarily results in a slow unintended acceleration after release of the brake pedal. Service brake functionality is ineffective and it remains fully operational. I can't help but think yet another business blunder that could have been avoided if they just made it with a manual transmission and having three pedals. Because we need all this fancy synchronization software. Of course, it's a hybrid, so there's even more technology and more points of failure. But yet another reason why every vehicle should have three pedals, also known as a stick shift or manual transmission. Not only is it the most optimal experience for driving, you have more fun doing that than anything else, but there's less things that can break and go wrong. Case in point. So hopefully Hyundai will maybe make some more stick shifts next year. Well, I see, but I was going to say, for a brand that has come so far to reliability, it used to be a joke 15 years ago. No one would buy those things. They're rudimentary to say the least. They've come a long way, but to have a such a big recall when it comes to something that is kind of a key component, it's not just a little button falling off, that's got to be the business blunder of the day. Thank you, everyone, for taking the time to tune in. Really appreciate it. Don't forget to take the time to like, subscribe, and comment. Each one of those things greatly helps the channel grow and develop. We're trying to get to 3,000 subscribers by the end of this month, so I really think we can do it together. Also, the comments really help to build the channels. The feedback is greatly appreciated. Try to make things uh, show better and better. Also, and lastly, don't forget to tell your family, tell your friends, tell your coworkers. Heck, tell your enemies, tell anyone and everyone. Just stay safe and fight the good fight.